there, marketing friends. I'm excited today to chat with somebody who's very well known in the agency world, someone I've admired from a distance for a very long time. I'm really anxious to learn more about his company and his programs. Today, I'm talking to Brian Kessman. He's the founder and principal consultant of Lodestar Agency Consulting. They help creative agencies refocus their positioning strategy and refine their operating models. And what I love about his approach is that he helps to balance the needs of everyone, not just the business, but their clients and their employees too. And he has some pretty unique ideas about how to go about that. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Give it a listen and I'll see you on the other side. Brian, so excited to have you here today. You've been somebody that I admire from a distance for some time. And so I'm so excited to learn about Lodestar. Oh, thanks for having me. I thought we could start by just getting a little background about you, both your personal story and then maybe a little bit of your professional journey. Sure. So we can go way back. I was I was actually born in Brooklyn, New York. I say that because, you know, I'm, I'm based in North Carolina these days. I grew up with an older brother. My parents are still there. And I bring this up because preparing for this, I, I started to remember how much my brother's influence started me down the path that led me to where I am today. Really? He was and still is a very creative person, great artist, storyteller, writer. He's actually published uh, two fantasy books. I've always admired those characteristics about him, and, and I wanted to be like him. And, and when we were a bit older, he took an architecture class in high school, and I thought that was the coolest thing. He was building these really cool models. He had these really great illustrations. And so eventually I followed that path, and it led me to pursue an architecture major in college. I loved the creative outlet. I loved uh, the whole idea of balancing form versus function, you know, that sort of thing. But what was really cool is is assignments where you design spaces that were meant to strike up an emotion or or can cause someone to feel an emotion. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool thing to leave behind, right? Right. To to build these structures and, and to have that as your legacy. And so I thought that was amazing. But that came to an end about two years in, because are you aware physics and math is important for architecture? (laughs) Well, I I can sense why. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, it was a competitive program and I wasn't strong enough in those areas. So eventually I I left that program, but I did graduate with a degree in marketing and graphic design, which ultimately, you know, brought me closer to where I am today. So today I live in North Carolina. I'm in Chapel Hill. We've been here for the last 11 years. Me, my wife, my two daughters, my son, three dogs, full house. Yeah, sounds like it. So talk a little bit about how your career journey started and then kind of the various steps you took along the way. When I was in college, I, I did start some work in the IT area. And so when I graduated, I thought I could use the IT experience and my marketing education to get a job with a creative agency or a digital agency. And and I I did. I was doing systems admin work for an interactive shop and you know, I really had no idea where that was going to lead me. But eventually, I started to incorporate process improvement into my IT work, which led me to get a job with a boutique management consulting firm in project management and client services. And I loved working there. They fully trusted me and gave me the autonomy to really help build the business. It was a small shop, so it was easy to do. And I did that. And I moved into more of a strategy and business development role. And we scaled that business quite a lot. And I I had a really strong sense of ownership over that. It just felt really fulfilling and really great. While I loved it, right, it was great. I I still really enjoyed the agency environment. Having worked for an agency prior, I I wanted to go back to that. And so I I, I did. I was still living in New York at the time. I worked for Siegel and Gale in New York. Uh, Then I moved to LA. I worked for Red Interactive. 
And then I, it, McKinney had an opening. And, and so that's one of the things that brought me here to North Carolina. So you had a little bit of account strategy side IT background, but then you moved sort of into the digital realm of the agency business, right? That's right. Eventually, though, I, I graduated to the web group director role or filled an exec producer role. I, I did go into digital strategy, but eventually the last role I held was managing director role for a, a product design and development shop. Interesting. Love it. Love it. What inspired you to start Lodestar? So over over those 20 years, so it was a, basically a 20-year span of time I was working with agencies, and I started to notice a few things. Uh, the first was that if an agency has a lack of focus about what they do or who their right customers are, they're more than likely to take on any new business that comes their way. And that will ultimately lead to some set of operational challenges because you're, you know, you're often trying to provide new services or different scopes of work, scrambling to really figure out how to do that or who can do it. And that will eventually lead to people challenges as staff try and keep up, right? Unless that new work is just so exciting and it really agrees with everyone's interests and values then they'll certainly rally around that work, right? But if not, staff will start to become confused about what's the agency's larger vision here? And the operational challenges can start to burn out people, right? And so all of that then leads to financial problems. So in 2016, I started Lodestar to see if I could help agencies create a better environment for their people and for their clients and and for the business itself. And I'll tell you, largely, that's about focus and intentionality, right? Focus in terms of strategy and intentionality in terms of How do you design and lead your agency to support your strategy, but making sure that you're balancing how you meet the needs of of your people and your clients and of the business? I love your passion for people that comes through in your answer. And I always admire entrepreneurs. So tell me a little bit about when you started the business, kind of your first clients, like how did you grow it? Because you're very well known now in the agency world. Well, yeah, I I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> I've seen what's happening out there. I see how the the market is evolving. Clients are are wanting different things. That the talent pool is changing, and so what's the value that I can really have to offer? Like in what package or shape or form? And so I I just started calling around to my network and and describing you know my experience and my background and what I'm interested in doing and how can I help? What kind of problems are you experiencing? And that's that's where I really started to then put structure to the offering, right? And it continues to evolve every every day, right? Every year I'm thinking about how can this be better and how is the industry evolving so I can keep up. Perfect. Yeah, because that's actually pivoting to my next question. So I was out on your website, of course, preparing for our discussion today. And one of the things you say is that agencies need to unlearn today's best practices and begin working in unconventional differentiating ways. Talk a little bit about what you mean by that. I want to understand what's under all of that. Sure. Yeah. I see many agencies out there with growth strategies and operating models that are very much misaligned with what clients want from their agency partners. And what I mean by that is is most big brand marketers really want best-in-class partners to fill specific gaps between their internal range of capabilities, right? They're, they're building these up, and they have been, and the pandemic's accelerated some of that. So you were seeing that on the production side originally, then media, and more recently, I'm seeing more in-house groups building up their creative strategy side of the house, right? Pulling in key talent from external agencies and now forming you know, these branded in-house agencies. And so the problem is I see plenty of agencies still selling themselves by saying things like we're full service or we're integrated. We have a range of experience. 
we're creative, but like, what's the other alternative there? Of course you're creative or we go above and beyond and, and all of those, all of those terms, but it's really just table stakes, right? It's what's expected. And so for me, I feel like it's just noise, right? Talk about what's really unique about you or what you're best at and invest more there in terms of how you speak about yourself, how you promote your business and your growth strategy. And then clients also expect their agencies to be able to deliver quickly, right? They're changing their own operating models to work with greater agility and they're expecting agencies to, to keep up and to start to offer their own nimble working models, right? And to, and to be cost effective while doing it, they want more value from these partnerships. We see this in industry research, but I've heard it also from my clients that they've seen more questions in RFPs and RFIs about their process and turnaround time. And some have shared that we've even lost clients due to our delivery speed. So, so that's an important piece. But then there's also the workforce, right? And, and the workforce has also evolved, right? Today's talent is really looking for a new kind of day-to-day experience. But the traditional management principles and organizational structures and related processes, they just don't match up. And so that makes it difficult to attract and retain top talent. And, you know, in-house agencies and tech companies are starting to scoop up a lot of the key talent out there because of those outdated models and, and ways of managing. Yeah. All of those pain points that you hit on have become sort of exponentially growing throughout COVID in the past two years, right? Were these issues there before? Or do you think that this is a result of much of what we've experienced over the past couple of years? Uh, no, they've, they've been there before. It's just that COVID and, and I guess what's now required, it's just been exposing it more, right? Sure. Most of the challenges that I see are really stemming from the outdated organizational structural well, I've shared a little bit about our semantical story with you and all of these things are true of us, right? We are evolving as an organization. We're growing rapidly. We do need to move more quickly for our clients and even our culture internally because of the kinds of clients that we're taking on needs to shift. Talk a little bit about the different kinds of services that you offer through Lodestar. I, I shared with you before our call that I, I saw on your website, you have sort of a business strategy program and an operating model program. Can you explain the difference? Yeah, of course. That's true. And, and it's meant to respond to two scenarios that I typically hear. So an agency will come and say, you know what, we want to grow and we want help with our positioning strategy. And so usually that'll be a full service agency that's seeing the benefit of having a greater focus. They might be experiencing poor win rates or high biz dev costs, or maybe there's just internal misalignment about who we should be focusing on or or going after as clients. But the driver here is growth. So we start with positioning, right? But a positioning strategy is only helpful if you can bring it to life through your operating model. And so we can do both when we combine our org design services. So the second scenario is when an agency will say, we've grown and we now need help redesigning how we work to support our current size and our services, right? And so they're maybe feeling too slow or they've seen profit drop, right? Or there's not enough structure or I've heard there's too much structure. We're overprocessed and we can't retain talent or clients are complaining about speed. And so for there, the driver is really organizational health. And so there we focus on org design, but that means aligning the org with the existing business strategy. Sure. Sometimes that strategy is really clear and it's really focused, but most times the main challenges that we're looking at are really stemming from there not being a clear strategy, right? And so then we can help there too with positioning as, as part of that engagement. So really, I offer those two services. They are connected because your agency is really just your operating model as a system of, of connected parts here. And so if they're not all in alignment or if you optimize one without 
the others, then you'll experience some misalignment. So we can do both. It's just where you want to start. I love it. You've done a lot of work with a lot of different agencies, many of which I admire. Talk us through a couple different success stories, if you wouldn't mind. I'd love to know kind of maybe the mess that ensues, because I know that many times I feel that way every day when I show up, to sort of what happens on the other side of that. Give us the vision. Well, the way we approach this is first, we'll try and understand what's happening within the organization. So what we'll do is we'll start out with an assessment. And that assessment can be a very light assessment where we're just speaking with some of the the team members, interviewing executives and some other key leaders, or it can be more involved where then we run cross-functional work sessions with team members to really understand what's going on. How do they envision what a successful engagement looks like? And then we dive in deeper to figure out, well, where are the gaps? Where's the disconnect? Is everybody getting what they need from each other to do their best work? Or have they just not been talking as much as they should because of the siloed structure that they're working in? That makes sense. And then we offer a survey as well. And so the survey explores the five areas of the operating model, or at least as as I describe the operating model. And those five areas are value creation, structure, leadership, communication, and processes, right? And that reveals a lot of great information about the agency. And from there, we're able to put together a solution plan, which is really customized for the organization. It's a combination of recommendations, but also which recommendations should you go through in what order? And that order is based on where can you get the quickest and most significant impact, but with the least amount of disruption to the business. And so it is different for everybody. Your agency might receive one set of recommendations, but with a different order of priorities, another agency will receive you know, those same recommendations, but they'll have a different path to get there. Well, and it occurs to me, Brian, that these principles you're talking about aren't really specific to agencies, right? Like even brands can think this way about their business and their service delivery model. Is that ever something you've explored about how the things you sell can actually help the clients as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I mentioned earlier, I I do work with some in-house teams and I've been doing that more this year, actually working with a, with a few in-house agencies to do just that. And as I was mentioning before, right, you see a lot of in-house groups building up their capabilities. So they're evolving from, from what I'd refer to as more of an in-house studio, really focused on production to becoming a proper in-house agency where they're focused on more strategic creative. And to do that, they need to change their model. And it's very similar to the work that I do with external agencies. Yeah. Well, that speaks to my heart. We work with an in-house agency with a client we've had for, gosh, 40 years now. And I think just that operating model between the agency and the in-house agency is a conversation that continues to evolve, right? And, And putting in processes to streamline those efficiencies and make sure that communication is really strong. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a past client had shared with me that when they were having some meetings with an agency client, when they were having meetings with a, with their brand client, the brand client had remarked, wow, you guys have really tightened things up over there. We could use some of that over here. And so I thought, wow, that, that's really great to hear. And they just marveled at how the account managers were just really proactive about, you know, what's coming in the next two weeks and, and, and planning for, you know, the longer roadmap of breaking it down into smaller chunks, really based on some of the operating principles that I, that I teach to agencies. So it was great to hear and, and see that in action and, and to uh, hear what clients were saying as a response. Okay. Let me zoom out for a minute. 
as you're working with all these organizations and given COVID changed so many of our businesses, as agencies are struggling to redefine their business strategy and keep up with it, right? How does your process factor that in? Because it just seems like iterative. Almost every day, something major is happening in our business that can cause us to pivot if we're not super focused on where we want to go. So how do you keep that long-term lens in mind? Well, so you need the long-term lens, but you also need to be adaptable. And that adaptability comes from the set of principles that I introduce to agencies. I refer to them as the new operating principles for high-performing agencies. And, and the way that these came together essentially was, well, you know, going way back to 2008, I became uh, certified as an Agile Scrum Master, an Agile Product Owner, an Agile Marketer, all, the, all lots of Agile. And then I brought that back into the agency and, and I thought, okay, it's not really a great match for the agency environment, not for the the creative services business model. And so I started to study a bunch of other management innovations and future of work movements that had been building since then and have continued to build things like holacracy and and lean and responsive orgs and, and a few others. And now the pandemic has really accelerated the adoption of these types of movements, or at least the values behind them. And if you study those movements, you'll see that those values are really about making work more about people and adaptability and less less about repeatable or mechanical work, right? Where you can do some long-term planning and everything is going to work out just fine, right? So to do that, you need more transparency. You need more trust. You need to push decision-making down more to the front lines, to your subject matter experts. You need to provide more autonomy and continue in the, and get the idea of continuous improvement ingrained in the culture. So that's behind all of the principles that I teach to help create a more adaptable organization. Totally makes sense. I know that if, as we've grown, it seems we are further and further removed from the frontline problems. And so that feedback mechanism and those metrics become really important. Tell us more about how you set those up and how you make sure that communication loop keeps happening. Yeah. So that that goes back to uh, the assessment that I had mentioned earlier, right? So there's this first initial agency-wide assessment. Let's understand how the operating model is functioning. But then there's a team-level assessment. I call it more of the, the team compass, right? And the idea is that the compass is dynamic and the team culture and the team communication, team health is always changing. You insert a new member of the team and that's going to have an impact on that team culture and performance. And so the team compass assessment essentially surveys the health of all your different teams across the organization. Because if you think about it, your agency is just a collection of teams, whether it's departments as teams or, or delivery teams. And so it's really hard as a leader of an organization to know what's happening at the subculture level. And if you're not really monitoring that and understanding where certain teams may need some help, what happens is you get some teams that start to drift away from alignment or drift away from optimal performance. And so when you're assessing that on a regular basis and arming your team leads, this is where the team leads also come into play, with that data and the team with their own data about their their health score. And you combine that with a toolkit that we provide, depending on how they're scoring, either high or low, there's a tool for each one to help the team overcome those challenges. Got it. Then that team lead and the team can work together on that particular tool on month one. And then we set a short-term roadmap month two and month three. This is what we're going to work on for the quarter. And in 90 days, we're going to reassess where we are. We're going to look at our compass again at that point. Got it. 
switching gears a little bit, another topic that I have been reading about that you believe in is this idea of how we can increase value for clients. And you talk about this idea of breaking down different types of value you can provide. Say more about that and how we should be thinking about that as agencies. So usually what I'd have to do is, is help an agency really think differently. We want to think differently about how we structure the services and organize your agency uh, around the specific types of value that you provide to clients. And so, for example, I see five tiers of value that an agency typically delivers. Okay. And here's how I refer to them. The first is the strategy tier. And for an example, that would be the development of strategy for creative or, you know, a data informed strategy or creative brief or media plan. The second tier is the vision tier, which is brand new creative thinking, right? And so an example would be a new concept for, let's say, a master online banneret. The third tier would be the execution tier. So this is where you're creating new deliverables based on an approved creative concept. And so the example would be a working banneret uh, based on the approved master concept. The fourth tier is adaptation. So now you're just creating new deliverables from past deliverables. And the fifth tier is, is what I call transfer. Now you're just trafficking existing deliverables, but you still need to provide value by creating different file formats, right? And, and sending those off. Yeah. And so when you break down your work in this way, right, you can now start to take a, a real good look at the different inputs and the specific workflow, the outputs for each in a more manageable way than if you were looking at it as just one large campaign or single scope. And when we do this, now we're able to start to reimagine the ideal way to, to build your creative products. And we also uncover some issues or new opportunities and staffing gaps. And it starts to point us toward what a new ideal team structure might be. And you know, then we see where we need training or need to hire. And so the, the idea is really shift away from project teams to create these creative product teams. And this is a starting point for how we would do that. That makes good sense. Even when you do that, it can be easy to sort of fall away from it, right? The, the pace of work day to day. My heart's always in, you know, wanting to talk vision and positioning and highest level thinking. And yet there's sort of the burning issues of the day to day that's like a, the org design stuff, right? Like making things work more smoothly. In your philosophy, and I know your assessment calls this out, is it more often important to start at sort of that bottom rung of the processes and work your way up towards the positioning? Or is it both and because sometimes something in positioning can drive process? Fantastic question. Because when agencies contact me, they say we have process issues and that's what we want to fix. But that's not the root cause of the issues, right? Sometimes it's the org structure, as I was mentioning before. Sometimes it's lack of strategy. But when we're done with an assessment or, or what I would propose in general is it's, it's a little bit of both, right? In fact, in, in the solution plans that I provide, the way that we organize the priorities is what do we need to do immediately to stabilize the organization? And sometimes that's process, sometimes it's communication, sometimes it's leadership style. But the first things first, let's do a bit of triage. What do we need to do to stabilize for immediate, high impact, low disruption type of, of activities? But at the same time, we need to back up and think, how are we now going to scale? And some of that is relates to we need a positioning strategy in place. We need a framework for basically putting in a consistent uh, employee experience or building our culture uh, or training. And so scale is the next set of, of uh, recommendations. So it's usually stabilized scale. And then third is soar. 
how do we just really go above and beyond you know the performance that we could have expected that relates to measurement continuous improvement innovation and essentially getting away from best practices which i really hate that term best practices because it's very outdated but what are your next best practices and i don't mean next best practices as in the next set of practices we use and never change but we're always developing next best practices so these are our next best practices now but what did we learn over the last month? And then what's the next set of best practices? How do we just continue to evolve as an organization? So those are the three tiers of recommendations. And it's always a little bit of both. You can't just start one or the other. It's what does the business need? Right. One of my favorite things to do in, in my day job is bring executive teams together and start talking about alignment, really around that positioning and that SOAR piece. What do you do curious of your own philosophies on this when you have an executive team or an ownership team that is so far out of alignment, right? That, you you know, you really can't move forward until you can get some consensus there. Yeah, it's pretty common, actually, especially if you've been operating for a long time without a, a focused positioning strategy versus being an agency where you had one, but, you know, times have just brought you off off course a little bit. It's the process. The process is designed to do just that, to, to realign. And, and there's a bit of discovery that has to happen, not necessarily me discovering the organization, but the leadership team discovering each other's opinions. Sure. And so through the exercises that we do together, we surface all of that. And we find the things that everybody is truly passionate about and wants to explore versus the things that they just don't want to do at all as a business, even if you're really great at it. Because if, if you're not going to follow what you like to do, then you're not going to truly be good at it. And so we make sure everybody is happy with that and also that there's evidence there that you have real talent and, and, and great uh, core competencies in the areas we pursue. But it's, uh, it's a lot of discussion and a lot of uh, debating, and that's a, that's a healthy part of the journey. Absolutely. Well, I smile because you, you process can solve so much, right? And I think you bring that to the table. I also wanted to ask, and this is a kind of a left field question as well, in the world of M&A right now, where agencies are just sort of like buying each other up, it just seems like very common. How does that impact the process part of it? Because, you know, setting a position and, and process efficiency, I would imagine when two organizations come together, there's a lot of like starting over, or at least building on. Well, yes and no. And actually, I've had uh, uh, two engagements this year uh, that were related to M&A and two organizations coming together. And it's even more important that you go through the positioning exercise because what you want to do is surface what is where each group is, is truly best in class and also see what's not working at each organization. Because if something's not working at one, but it's working well at the other, well, there's an opportunity to learn from each other, right? So we want to uncover that too. And then we go through the, the usual uh, exercise. There's some adjustments because now we're talking about two leadership teams coming together and two organizations, but it's a very similar process to arrive at, at that one unified positioning, but super important for emerging organizations. So I'm, I'm curious about your philosophies around liberating people to do their best work and uniting people in the shared goal of reshaping the agency. What does that look like? So part of that is, is during the uh, discovery process for us, where we bring teams together to have the conversations that probably should have happened a while ago, but usually are not occurring unless there's some sort of a crisis or a project when there was an issue with a project. And so one of the, one of the main workshops or, or group sessions that we focus on is where we bring this cross-functional group together. And we start by saying, what, what does success look like? For you all for the agency let's define what those outcomes are 
not outputs. I don't care that you have a creative brief or that it was on time. What, what are the outcomes, right? So yes, it was on time. Yes, it was uh, within budget, but the work was also great. What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does it look like? What are you going to hear in the hallways? Oh, I really loved working on that project or they did great work or it really felt wonderful to be part of this team. And we detail all of that so that you can you can, you can really get a sense of what success looks like. And then this goes to something we were talking about earlier, which is, well, what do you each need from each other to do your best work? Let's talk about the outcomes you need from the other groups you're working with. Mm. And then we go around and we say, okay, here are some red dots. Can you stick these along the outcomes you're not getting from your counterparts, from your other, from your other uh, functional areas? And so there's red, yellow, and green, and we go around and we see, you know, where are the problem areas, what's working really well so that we can learn from it, and so on. And then we start having conversations about, I didn't know that you really needed that, or yeah, we know that we're not so good at that. We're working on it. We're going to make a better effort to do that next, next week. And so now you start getting these, these informal commitments to one another, these conversations happening that weren't happening before. And now everyone's inspired to lead change in their own areas, or at least on, on their own teams. And we support them with the right tools to do that in a controlled way so you don't have these teams running off and doing their own thing that's going against your own foundational structure as an agency. That's one way. You know, sometimes in in the size that we are right now, we're about 115 people. And interesting listening to you share sort of that handoff model. And I think when we were about 50 people, we had to have that conversation. As you've worked with organizations that are scaling, are those those key thresholds? And are we in one? Because we're right at that 100 bubble, right? I've always heard that's a really hard size for an agency. What are the other thresholds? Like, what are you working toward? I've heard that if you put critical infrastructure in place at certain sizes of organizations, it'll carry you forward. What does that look like in your work? Well, so I could tell you that there is a pattern in terms of the size agencies are when they when they contact me. And I've seen this at around the 30-person mark. I've seen it around the 60-person mark. And I've certainly seen it around the 100 or so person mark. What it really depends on, though, is just the pace at which they've grown or their goals in terms of how quickly they want to grow. And that's really the main driver, because usually at these numbers, they've either grown really quickly all of a sudden to get there, and that's really what they're citing as the source of their trouble, and what I see also. Or they have not had a chance to really invest in building up or or refining their operating model to now support that size because of the growth, and everybody was in an all-hands-on-deck or let's-just-get-it-done type of mentality. So you know, if they've developed what what I'll refer to as uh, organizational debt, which is where they don't get to pay off, they're unable to pay off that, that uh, the, the improvement or, or focus on the improvements to their operating model, then it's time to pay it off, right? Right. Well, when you and I were exchanging some notes before our call, you brought up this idea of change management and how important and even core that is to your work. So talk about how that is one of the truths that you live by and how it sort of drives not only your philosophies, but you know the ways you work for your clients. Yeah. So because many of the clients are working in that functional hierarchy, right, there is there is a bit of this command and control type of management style. And uh, it's basically where you feel like unknowingly you're, you're leading. It, everything is, is somewhat top down or many things are, are top down. And so especially when you're implementing some changes in the organization that are fairly large, a leadership team may go ahead and start to plan and make those decisions. And maybe there'll be some socializing of, of those uh, changes 
but largely it is still top-down. And so my belief here is change should not be a top-down only process, right? It should also be approached from bottom up. And the first thing that I recommend when a client begins to consider making changes to their agency is to not talk about the work as making changes. Because that language implies that you're now going to be applying some level of force against current ways of working where employees are already comfortable or they just may not feel that there's a need for change, right? And since we're all creatures of habit, change in that way is, it can be scary for people and and can result in what may seem like resistance down the line or worse, you might see some people leaving, right? And so a better way to approach change is to involve those who are going to be impacted by the changes in the actual design of those changes and then consider approaching change as experiments instead of mandates because an experiment that language implies that you're testing something that may or may not work it's not a final decision and in that way it promotes communication and feedback and produces better adoption down the line absolutely when you work with executives like me what's the resistance you experience and then how do they overcome that and especially if they're driven like me in the sense that like typically headline leaders love change, right? So they're out there like, let's go, 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 get on the bus. And that's not exactly how things happen. So what advice would you have for me? Well, there's a couple of things. So first, create a what I call a transformation team, which is led by not leadership, but those who are going to be impacted by the changes, right? There's a leadership sponsor who's involved in, in those conversations and making sure the change is still aligned with the strategy and direction of the company, but let change be designed by those who are going to be impacted by it. And so we do that by creating the transformation team. We walk them through the steps on how to plan out the work and prioritize and so on. The other thing you can do is, or rather where I see some some pushback from leadership, is when we talk about moving decisions to others in the organization. Some leaders know that it needs to happen because they see themselves as a bottleneck, right? Or they see themselves as they're just confused about why aren't my team members making these decisions for themselves? I tell them that they're empowered but they're just not taking ownership of these decisions. And so what we do is we formalize decision-making rights into the role descriptions. So I I look at job descriptions as as also being outdated. We need to update the traditional job description to be more of an outcome-focused role description. And by the way, you can have many roles in an organization, and we should have many different descriptions of what those are. And roles can shift too, and that's okay. But in these role definitions, we look at what are the outcomes I'm meant to produce and what are the decision-making rights that I need in order to produce those outcomes. And then we also look at professional development pathways needed in order to train them and get them up to speed. Now, here's where the pushback comes. Well, hold on. I don't want to let everybody make these decisions that could sink the agency. Well, there's another layer that we can use. We can use an advice process. So the people you're giving decision-making rights to if there's a, a decision that could put the business at risk, well, then they are obligated to use an advice process where they would ask somebody with more experience or, or whatever the need, whoever the person may be. But it's still up to that person to ultimately make the decision, right? In other words, that, that leader or the person they're asking for advice from does not have the authority to make the decision. Their job is to mentor and advise. And that's how you now start to provide a framework for people to follow to make sure that, yeah, I'm empowered, but where do I get started? And that helps them do that. It sets clarity across roles and responsibilities and and everybody is aligned. Yeah, absolutely. When you see organizations like Symantle adopt an organizational design practice or philosophy, how does that translate to value to the client? 
And the reason I ask is because I know a lot of organizations that I've spoken to who take this on view it more as an operational function or an internally focused service line. But yet it seems that if we can do better work and more quality control, obviously the clients are going to see huge benefit from that. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a a great thing to educate clients on during the onboarding process when you have a new client or even just to reset expectations with your existing clients, because it shows how much you care about the client experience and their relationship. And and you're investing in a role dedicated to making sure that your people are happy internally and working as quickly and as efficiently and effectively as possible for better work for your clients. But also client, it's going to require a bit of a change of process on your side, because we want to make sure that we're always aligned with you. And these are improvements. And so we're asking for your permission to also have some change on your side, if that's okay. It's not required, but it's a good way to introduce that conversation. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because, well, I'm one of the owners. We are an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We create killer campaigns, but we also help organizations create programs that align back to their business strategies. Most importantly, we have a lot of fun and love what we do. And this year marks 40-ish years of doing it. Unfortunately, there's not enough time to explain the ish on this promo. But if you know us, you'll know it makes perfect sense. And if you don't, please reach out. We'd love to talk. Or you can head to samantle.com slash blog to learn more about us with articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, and much more to help you keep learning and growing right alongside us. Well, in our last few minutes here, I always like to understand a little bit about my interviewees' philosophies on leadership. I know leadership is one of the core principles and processes that you deliver. Talk a little bit more about why that's become so important to you personally as you've grown up your business and how it really impacts the work you can do for agencies. Yeah. So first, uh, leadership, I believe, and, and I'm sure many also share this belief, but is not just about how you're leading others, but how do you lead yourself? And leadership in, in the operating model that, that I use is about how do you build the capacity of others in the organization in a supportive way, right? And so do you as a leader know what it's like to be on the other side of you, right? And are you providing the intentional relationship building activities that is now needed in a COVID world, right? Are you intentionally reaching out to your people or peers to make sure that you're still connected with them. And what are you doing to build trust? We're not in the office anymore celebrating birthdays together or sharing meals together. So how are you being intentional about that? How are you providing transparency with your own work and really building the capacity of others by seeing what they're working on and trying to help them develop those skill sets? But also, do you know for yourself what you need to work on? Again, what what is it like to be on the other side of you? There's a lot of self-reflection that's needed and uh, intentionality to, to make sure that you are, are creating the right environment for your team success, the success of your, t- your peers, and also for yourself. What do you need to change? What's working? What's not working? And the leadership tools that we use really focus on a lot of those points. Yeah. Well, I am a self-awareness guru. I love that stuff. My question is, do you find in your work that some organizations have more capacity for that than others? And if so, what's the difference in those that do and those that don't? The ones that don't uh, are the ones that I'm seeing suffering from retention issues right now. 
that's becoming the number one item on their solution plan with me is to stabilize. We need to go through some leadership training uh, because so many agencies right now have such a high volume of staff that are new to the organization. I've heard uh, agencies have shared with me between 20 to 80% of their staff are new, right? Depending on the agency that you speak with. And so because of that, their culture pre-pandemic is gone, right? And so now the new culture is forming by default, right? We talked before about your agency being a collection of teams and subcultures, right? So leadership can form the culture at the top, but then you're going to have these subcultures throughout these collection of teams. And if you are not being intentional about leadership training across the organization so that every team has the same tools and the same mindset uh, and the same approach to how they lead and support each other, well, then you're going to have different pockets of, of culture throughout some better than others. And if, you know, so, so make that space and time in order to provide that type of training and monitor the culture throughout the teams and create those, you know, quarterly plans that we talked about earlier. Totally. I love that. And then the last question that I ask every single guest on our show is what's a question that you're wrestling with right now that you'd like to ask someone else? The thing that I'm struggling with for my own business is, is about the packaging of services. I, I don't know if we spoke about this already, but I'm currently in the middle of a, a rebranding project for myself and uh, repackaging my services so that they're just more intuitive for my clients. And so I guess my question would be, uh, what are tips that you can offer when thinking about reshaping how you uh, describe or, or package your own services? I should know this because I do some of this in my own work, but you know, when you're so close to it, it, it how do you step away, right? What we all struggle with. And I think something you said early in the conversation is even when you were standing up your business, you talked to people and you asked a lot about what was needed, right? And so that would be one thing that I could offer you in return as you and I get to know each other. I'd love to be on the other side of that line of questioning. I just want to thank you, Brian. It means the world to me that you gave up an hour of your time to spend with me. And I'm excited about our growing friendship. I hope we can keep in touch. Well, same here, Misty. Thanks so much. This is the case on many interviews that we do here on Marketing Sweats. There was just a lot of good lessons here that resonated with me. Samantha, like I mentioned, is continuing to evolve as an agency and we've been experiencing a ton of growth. And it's at times like that when Brian's services just make sense. We personally are really focused on protecting our own business strategy and defining workflows that move projects through the agency as efficiently and effectively as possible. And of course, we want to be good to our employees too. So a lot of companies might say their people are their greatest asset, but at Symantle, we mean it and we're willing to invest in it and we're willing to change the ways of working so we can deliver great things. So with that, please, please, please reach out to Brian. If you have questions, we can also get you in touch. Go to our website. We love his thoughts and how to build a better business strategy in general and his thoughts on how to build a healthy organization. In the meantime, don't forget to check out all of our episodes on the podcast at our website at marketingsweats.com or find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. That's a wrap for today. Keep up the good work, friends, and we'll chat soon.